Hi, I'm Matthew Robertson. Welcome to Momentum Men, a podcast dedicated to exploring and promoting men's mental well-being. Having been personally affected by this subject and shocked by the statistics around it, I wanted to explore and try and dismantle the stigma attached to men's mental well-being. This week on the Momentum Men podcast, I am absolutely thrilled to have Sean Swarner. Now, Sean is literally a living legend. He's a multiple world record holder, voted one of the most inspirational men in the world. He has featured on ESPN, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, CNN, and he has survived two terminal cancers and one with a 14-day prognosis, a year-long coma, and now lives with only one lung. But yet it gets even more incredible. He is the only person in history to summit Mount Everest, the highest mountain in every continent. He has also skied to the both North and South Poles and competed in the legendary Hawaiian Man Challenge. Now, I don't know what else I can say about this guy, but I know he's a huge inspiration, a super nice guy, and I can't wait to find out more. So, Sean, we've made it. We've done it. You're here. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming. I've really, really been looking forward to this one. So, um, for those who don't know, heaven forbid, um, who is Sean and what does he do? Well, that's a great question. Sean likes long walks on the beach, picnics in the park, and, and little yeah, puppies. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's he's a, he's an all round guy. <laughs> He's he's an all-around happy guy who pretends just like everyone else that he's he's impervious to issues and impervious to uh, sad emotions, which is so far from the truth because we all have those ups and downs. But in 30 seconds or less, I could say that I am the only person in history to accomplish what I have, and I've done everything after surviving two terminal cancers a prognosis of three months to live, 14 days to live. I was in a medically induced coma for a year of my life and I only have one functioning lung. So who is Sean Swarner? He's a guy who's very fortunate and lucky to be alive and blessed. He wakes up and opens his eyes every morning. I'm not really sure what you say after that. You know, it's uh, <laughs> that in itself is extraordinary um, and, and, and admirable and courageous and all of the above. But that wasn't enough really was it i mean you know things went on a bit and and but before we get into those incredible achievements which are beyond anything i could even hope to achieve but um i would like to tap into maybe that that time um if you're okay with that is maybe can you talk me through what it was like that because you were young, right? How were, how old were you when you first got the diagnosis? Yeah, thirteen was the first one. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it's 13. kind of funny. You're like, if you're okay with that, I'm like, well, that's 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 why I'm here, right? Like, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you do. It's interesting that I think <laughs> no. I don't know if you found this, but talking about things like this, I think people. It, uh, you, you kind of skirt around the edge a bit. You don't want to be upset or is it fragile? Is it, I don't know, you know, so so bear with me if I'm a little bit um, sad. Well, I'm not going to be now, of course, but you've, you've, you've let me uh, let me go. So, um, so yeah. Third... You, you can ask, ask, ask anything. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I mean, um, well, I think it's really important to d dig on this as well because this is where, for me, you know, 
I've watched and been a big admirer of yours, you know, it's tougher than any mountain. It's tougher than any hike. It's 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 an extraordinary achievement over overcoming something like that. And you know, I've, probably a little gift from the gods too. But you know, you you get this call at thirteen when you should be out playing with your mates, chatting to girls. Well, maybe that's a little early, but <laughs> heading into that. But just you know, really at that age it's probably one time in your life or one of the few times in your life where there are no worries there's no mortgage there's no you know car payments there's no job it's just kind of you're chasing life a bit and then suddenly you get this call what how did that come about and what was that like you're absolutely right where you know at 13 the biggest fear i think i had was for us we we call it eighth grade i don't know if you call it grade eight or something but we had an eighth grade and you know, we would have lockers um, and where we would keep our books between classes. And my biggest fear was carrying my books and having somebody come behind me and, you know, knock the books out of my hands. You know, I guess being bullied is what they yeah, call it yeah. now. That was the biggest fear I had until all of a sudden, you know, just like that, you know, my, my life changed. All of a sudden, this this normal Midwest guy from a little place in Ohio where my backyard was a bean field or a cornfield. It was a farming community. Um, I was a cross-country runner. I ran track. I was in pole vault. I even pole vaulted, a huge swimmer. I I did everything until I had a knee injury from basketball and that made everything in my body change. You know, that that knee injury literally changed my life forever. And that's when they, they stuck me in the hospital and at the local hospital, my, my hometown had maybe 5,000 people. And I think now they have 5,003. So <laughs> not, not much changes in those little towns. But they, they started treating me for pneumonia and not knowing that I had cancer. And it's very difficult to cure cancer sucking out a nebulizer. I, I wasn't getting any better. So they stuck me in a, a much larger hospital in the capital of Ohio called Columbus. And that's when they diagnosed me with advanced stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they they literally told my parents, your firstborn son now essentially has an expiration date of three months to live. Oh, jeez. I, 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 you know, just hearing that makes me feel oh, humble because, I mean, I lost my father to cancer, um, a brain tumor. and um, And that was very quick and hearing you say that it's just it just it's very it's it's incredibly grounding especially when the things that you know we we in a modern world worry about i mean and we're worrying about nonsense really but you you you, i just can't imagine what your parents and yourself went through at that point it's probably complete disbelief but what how did that then what what was the next stage you know it's interesting you mentioned my parents because Looking back at it now, I, I, I can't, my wife and I can't have children, unfortunately, but looking back at it now, I'm roughly the same age my dad was when I was diagnosed. And looking at the perspective he may have had and the perspective that I had when I was going through the treatments, there was a, a moment when I was 60 pounds overweight because of the medicine. And I remember being in the shower on my hands and knees literally sobbing you know all my hair fell out in 20 minutes in the shower 
and it was clogging up in the drain and the water was rising up. And I remember just pulling chunks of hair out of the drain so the water could go down. And I started thinking about what my options were. This is about three, three months into the treatment. And there were some days where I would literally be vomiting for 36 hours straight because the treatments were so harsh. And I remember being on my hands and knees and being given this choice of either fight for my life or give up and die. And the first thing that went through my mind was the picture, the image of what my parents would go through and how they would feel if they lost their, their firstborn son. And I think that's what kept me going more than anything. The, the, the family cohesiveness that we had. And I also realized that I, I, I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living because I didn't want my parents to go through their lives full knowing that they, they, they couldn't take away the cancer. They couldn't do anything to get inside my body and in my mind to help me fight the cancer. But they instilled in me the desire to live every day and, and appreciate today and appreciate tomorrow when it comes. So I couldn't imagine what their lives would be like when I was on my hands and knees, projecting into the future, thinking about what their lives would look like a month, two months, a year, three years later, after they lost their son, they would be sitting there thinking to themselves, my God, why didn't we do more? But there's nothing they could do to begin with. Just to have that train of thought when you're probably, you know, obviously very unwell, pumped through full of God knows what, and yet you have this sort of quite profound thought that I'm not doing this. I'm not in the business of dying. I'm in the business of living. And it's interesting that mentality has um, probably influenced everything that you've done in the future. Um, but before we go into that again, which I'm so excited to get into, you know, <laughs> desperate to, I think this is really, really important because I think this is where your extraordinary mindset has um, put you in the place of legends. So, I mean, and I don't say that lightly. So, so you, you're now saying I'm not giving up, but they're saying you've got three months. So ha, what's next? What, do, do the, does the doctor come in and say, wow, hi, hang on a minute, what's this? What's happened? It's interesting how things unfolded because at 13, I, I honestly don't think I fully understood the ramifications of cancer. Mm. You know, when, when you're 13 years old, when someone says, oh, hey, you know, your, your, your great grandma just passed away or, you know, you, you have cancer and you sit there and you think to yourself, well, OK, that's great. But now as, as an adult, you think, OK, well, you know, I have three months to live. Oh, my God. You, know, you, you have a completely different understanding of uh, the fragility of life. You know, you're, you're, you're basically your line of life. You're born here. You mm -hmm. die here. That's it. You have this much time on earth. When I was 13, I've only, I had only lived this much of my life, but I didn't have a, fully, a full understanding of what death meant. So I think I just tried to enjoy everything as it came. And I wasn't worried about uh, my books, <clears throat> excuse me, my books being knocked out of my hand. I wasn't worried about the, being in the popular cliques at school. I wasn't worried about the nicest hairstyles. Obviously, I'm still not. You know, it's, it's not a, a concern of mine. 
but going through the treatments, it was those three months passed. And then I went through roughly a year of chemotherapy where I gained all this weight, lost my hair, lost a lot of my friends even. And eventually the doctors told me I was in remission and it was incredibly difficult for a number of reasons. I think the biggest one was living every day, day by day by day by day. And then the doctor saying, you're in remission, go live your life. My friends were happy. My mom and dad were happy. The nurses, the doctors, the hospital system. That security net that I had was super happy. They were ecstatic. The first thought that went through my mind, I'll be honest with you, was, well, what do I do now? Like all I wanted when I was sick, all I wanted to do was be normal. And now that I have this this gift of being normal and going back into uh, quote unquote normal childhood, where do I even begin? And where did you begin? I mean, w- w- because that wasn't the end, was it? Because you you, you know you I, forgive me. I think you had a year or so of of remission, and then somebody taps you on the shoulder and hang on a minute, something's up. Talk me through that. <laughs> yeah, so you think, yeah, holy yeah, shit, I've not, just got my life yet. together. I do know what I want to do now. Oh, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. So talk us through the tap on the shoulder. I mean, when I was going through the treatments, all I wanted to do was be normal. And then all of a sudden I was normal for roughly a year. Everything was fine. I was back in athletics. I was back swimming. I was breaking records. I was doing amazing because when I was going through the treatments, I actually visualized myself winning the swimming championship, the 50 meter swim championship, which I I did a year later. And I think being athletic physically and mentally helped me. But then going in for a checkup for the first cancer, they found a second cancer that was completely unrelated to the first one. It wasn't a secondary tumor caused by the treatment. It wasn't related to the Hodgkin's completely unrelated cancer. And this time around, I remember going in for a checkup and in one day they found a tumor on an x-ray. They did a needle biopsy where they thread a needle about that long through my ribs to aspirate part of the tumor. They took out a lymph node. They put in a Hickman catheter, which is like a permanent IV. They cracked open my ribs, removed the tumor, put a drainage tube in and started chemotherapy in less than 24 hours. So this was, I mean, this just went by boom, 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 boom. And the reason they did that was because of the history I had with Hodgkin's. Mm-hmm. So they, they rushed me through all this. They, like, they started off with a tumor. And then literally a day later, I was back on chemo. They didn't know what, what type of cancer it was because it's so incredibly rare. It affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. So out of 100 people, let's hypothetically say 100 people get this cancer, 94 die. And I, I, I love doing stats. I love twisting things around and looking at my chances and odds. And I've, I've never been very good at numbers because my chances of surviving both Hodgkin's and Askin's sarcoma is roughly the same as winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, you're literally looking at a. I believe I'm a living, breathing, walking miracle. I, I, I believe that too, and I, I believe, um, 
you know, in my heart that there's something out there that's bigger than us. And to some people, it's a God. Some some people, it's just a belief. Or some people, it's angels. I don't know. And and whatever your belief is, that's okay. Um, and 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 I think it's right. really good and positive to have a belief in something. Um, and and I, it sounds like to me um, that something was looking after you somebody was like ah uh-uh, you know and and i think but i wouldn't take away that the, the incredible attitude you have you know that that is you know screw you no 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 i'm i'm not done so <sighs> i can't imagine what was going through your head at the time because you just you know, you're in the shower on your knees going through all that and, and, and the, the heinousness of chemo and seeing that with my father as well, just so debilitating and crushing and toxic. And oh. and then you're back in there and I said, right, straight back on it again. And you're just like, hang on a minute. Two weeks ago, I was winning a swimming race and now I'm getting thumped full of this shit again. Hang on. This isn't supposed to happen. So... I'd be interested to see, because this is really important within this podcast, is your mindset at that point. Was there ever a point where you thought, you know what, time to feel sorry for myself, I'm done, fuck this, you know? Or was it, I don't know, tell me, tell me, because I'm fascinated to see your mentality on this. You know, it's <clears throat> it's interesting, you're, you're reaching for that mental aspect of it because the, 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 I, I still and I always will believe that mindset is, is such an important component to not only success but happiness yeah. to life to, to living to so many different things and it's all based on your personal perspective so imagine from the ages of 13 to roughly 18 your whole teen years you now have a different perspective on the entire world because you went through death twice you you uh, you played hopscotch with the grim reaper and came out ahead you know and you realize now that life isn't about those tangible things it's about experiences it's about family it's about love appreciation security those types of things and i learned that going through those two cancers but to, to go back to your your question having that mindset of not wanting to die and having a, a bad days, you know, I would be standing here telling you lies if I told you I was positive all the time. It, it just doesn't happen. It's it, it, being positive doesn't mean that you have that you don't have negative thoughts. It just means that you don't allow those negative thoughts to rule your life. So I learned a long time ago when I was going through those treatments, I had a good days, I had bad days. And on those bad days, I would take my mind somewhere else, like the cross-country track meet or, uh, sorry, the cross-country meet or a track meet or back to swimming. When I was in the trough of, of my life, when I was in the dregs and I was at the bottom and I didn't want to be there, I knew it was a moment that would pass. And I focused in my mind, I I huge believer in the mind-body connection, vivid visualization. There's research all over the place about it. And I visualized myself in the future doing something that meant a lot to me emotionally, you know, tapping into one of my personal core values. So I'll take myself in my mind out of the horrible situation that I was in. I was fighting for my life. And I'll take myself 
in my mind to a place that made me happy. And when I was in those moments where I was happy, you know, the top of the, the roller coaster, I suppose, I would truly be in the present moment. I didn't have any of the distractions we have now, like cell phones or tablets or whatever it might be. I would, I would slow down. I'd stop and smell the flowers. I would appreciate the sunrise. All those little things that we sometimes ignore now. If you have a hundred of those throughout the day, at the end, you're not, you're not just thankful for this much. You're now thankful for an enormous amount of things that can then add up through the compound effect to really make you happy, to make you understand and see life differently. I, th- I think that's so true. And I think, uh, you know, the, the things that you were saying that were bringing you joy, those things, interestingly, were all, um, or not all of them, but the ones you've mentioned are from the outdoors, whether it be smelling a flower, looking at a tree, watching the wind, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very interesting when you say that because my father, in, um, and this was his final hours, and I think I've mentioned to you this maybe before, but um, he said, Matthew, will you take me outside? And, and I took him outside in the wheelchair, and, and he, he, just look, he was looking at the trees, and um, he just started to smile. And I was like, Dad, what are you smiling at? Why, why are you, you know, what are you looking at? And he said, just look, look, look at how beautiful the colors are. Look at the way the wind is going through the trees. Look at, can you smell? And, and I think he was such in a heightened state because it was all about to disappear. And it, it's so extraordinary in a modern world. When do we ever really truly stop and enjoy the present moment? Like stop and look at the trees. We're so in a rush to get to the next place. And I, I love that saying is we're always look, chasing somewhere we're not right we're here now having a great time but we're already thinking about what's happening after this and you just think actually be in the moment and he was truly in that moment and it's something that i've always remembered and it it, it touches on what you were saying about those little special nuggets and you keep having them keep having them unfortunately for him a couple of hours later he wasn't with us but it was it, it taught me a lot and one of the reasons i'm doing what i'm doing now um, with men's mental wellness is is you know what is really important relationships your family um, your loved ones you know um, you know nobody sits in their deathbed saying I wish I'd made more money you know what are you just going to lay in there with a pair of car keys and a ton of cash sitting on your chest forget it you know but it, it sometimes takes a realization maybe that you went through and what I saw in my father um to sort of say, you know what? I choose life. I need to make money. We all need to make money, that, and that's a given. But it's what you prioritize on that journey. So for me, you, you know, you've, you've taken these positives, and somehow the gods were shining, positive attitude. Um, you had your tools. You come out of that, and you're now 18, 19, I assume. And they're like... You know, I bet the, in the hospital they're all scratching their head. This guy's a, he's got like, you know, the bionic man or something. You know, what are we feeding him? And um, and then, you know, what was next for you then? Because like you say, your teenage years have gone. So now it's just like, well, shit, what do I do now? Am I going to college? Am I am I going to get a job? Am I going to, what do I do? You know, so what how, what happened thereafter? Well, first, I, I would want to kind of back up and just say thank you for sharing that. You know, it's, 
it's it's not easy to to be vulnerable like that and actually share things but it, it means a lot and while you were talking i was thinking about what you're saying and how so many people are they're focused on the goal they're focused on this they want to get there they're in a hurry to to get to the end result i don't know anybody who's in a rush to get to the grave which is the final result for all of us yeah you know who's in a rush to, to to be buried in the ground it's certainly not me so people need to slow down with everything they're doing and appreciate what we have now and, and live every day as though it's our last because one day it will be. And people don't understand that. You know, they, they, they don't have a grasp on it. A good way to really grasp it is get a piece of paper and draw a line across it. Draw a, a vertical line here and a vertical line here. Put the four, four number year that you were born here, add 75, 80 to it, and put that other number here. You can figure out where on that line you are because you know, that's roughly the age of the human lifespan. And you can see how much you've lived and how much you technically have left. You know, maybe that'll light a fire under some you know people's what? asses. It's interesting. I, I again, I, I I love little power quotes, right? And I'm a, I think I said this maybe in the last podcast that there was um, Sylvester Stallone, right? Love him or hate him, he's a ledge, right? What he's been through, nothing like what you've been through, but I mean, he had his ass kicked every which way, and he still got up, still got up. He just wasn't going to give up, right? And it, I, I listened the other day, something he was saying, he said, you know, life changes when you realize there's more runway behind you than in front of you. So it's exactly what you've just said. Now I've got more life behind me than I have got in front of me. So now it's the day to get on with the business of living, right? You know, you get to a certain point in life, I believe, and uh, for me, sort of this midlife thing, and you, and people say, oh, midlife crisis, and pe- some people go and do an Ironman, some people go and buy a Porsche, some people, you know, start traveling, give up their job, whatever. And I actually think it's not a crisis, it's a midlife awakening. And it's, it's that awakening that makes you really realize what's important. And it isn't getting up at six, working all day long in an office, and coming home when it's dark and never seeing your wife or kids and everything. And I, I say that flippantly because a lot of people don't have that choice. But I, and if I'm going to be an antagonist slightly with this, I believe we all have a choice in some form, but we don't want to give up the niceties. So we could give up the nine to five maybe and do something simpler or, or something that brings you real joy. You just have to curb your lifestyle, you know. Um, but... Putting that aside, I think that what you're saying and what Stallone said is really interesting and in the fact that it's a bit of a wake-up call when you make it physical in front of you. You know, somebody was telling, telling me the other day, well, you've got 25 summers, if you're lucky. And you think, shit, you put it like that. You're like, I need to get outside. I need to go and do something. Where am I going? You know, um, and... So I, I, I think everything that you're saying is, is really interesting and it, it, it's resonating around, I don't even, you know, in the ether because a lot of the people sort of in our window of life are, are saying a lot of the same things. So, um, but going back to what um, you were saying and coming out of that <laughs> um, is what was next? 
the 18-year-old Sean Swarner is let loose into the world and and what's he going to tackle now? I think you've done the cancer thing. We can rest that now. Cancer thing's gone. You know, I, but it's but it's but the funny thing is I didn't deal with it. I didn't after after I went through the whole life <clears throat> life-changing issue of cancer, you know, the whole journey. I went to college. I, I turned into a, a university and I turned into a party animal. I, I just wanted to relive my high school years because they were they were taken from me. And and I was the guy swinging from the rafters, drinking beer, partying until the break of dawn. And crazy enough, when you're taking immunology or, or organic chemistry, it's very, who knew, it's very difficult to pass those classes when you're a party animal and you don't open the books and study. So <laughs> I learned the hard way that I needed to put my nose to the grindstone and study. But the thing was, the whole time that I was moving forward in my life, then we'll, we'll go from college, university, into grad school, where I was working my master's and my doctorate. Uh, I wanted to be a psychologist for cancer patients, because as, as, as you well know, cancer is not an individual disease. You know, it's the whole family involved. So I wanted to help everyone. But the whole time as I was moving forward in life, I never looked into the bag of issues that I had, and I never decided to figure out what the cancer meant to me. Going back to how you said that everyone has a choice, whenever anyone goes through something traumatic, you may not necessarily be able to change what happened, but you can you can choose how you want to react to it. Brilliant, yeah. And I didn't want to be a, a sad person saying, oh my God, I, I'm a cancer survivor. I didn't want that to define me. I wanted to kind of tongue-in-cheek say, I had cancer. Cancer didn't have me. I love that, yeah. So... That's that's when I decided I wanted to do these crazy events and literally scream from the rooftops, starting with the highest, literally the highest platform in the world, to give back something to so many people who need hope. And you you can't go through life without having hope. Not not oh I hope this happens, but the hope and the wish and the ideas and the concepts of human life. Well, we're lucky to even be here, right? I mean, you know, I think, again, I'm going back, but, you know, we so disappear into this sort of modern day capitalist society that we believe that um, the more we have, the happier we'll be. And actually, the more we have, the more complicated everything gets. And it's just, you know, oh, I've got to have a second home, a second home, even if you can afford it. Mentally, you've still got another set of bills, another set of da da da, who's going to look after it, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, we're in this constant universe of plussing up because that's what we understand and we're told will bring us joy or or happiness, if you like. Um, so it, it's interesting sort of you going through the whole university thing, go to doing the party and coming out of university and grad school, et cetera. And, and do you think it was, it sounds like to me when um, a light bulb moment you know, I may, maybe, I mean, did you know what you wanted to do or was it like, right, um, and this is now um, where we're going to start to sort of jump into um, your extraordinary journey thereafter, which I think is going to blow everybody's hair back because, you know, I remember when I first, first found out about you, I can't even remember where it was. I think it might have been a TV show in the States or something and um, or radio. And I was just like, what? what and I was just scratching my head thinking 
Then I started thinking, I need to go to the gym more. I need to climb more. God, I thought I was doing quite well. This is insane. And then I just felt utterly compelled that I've got to talk to this man. He, he, his story, his journey, he, inspirational, etc. So you have this light bulb moment. And and for everyone listening, we're just about to go into an extraordinary journey of, of um, exploration, um, hardship, challenges in some of the most dramatic places on earth. Um, and another reason why I love what your story is because the thread that runs through everything that I've done in my life and what we're doing today is my belief is joy through the power of the outdoors because there's just something incredibly humbling about being in the wilderness, whether it's a mountain, a forest, a, on water, snow. Um, just there's just a quiet hum of a smile that exists deep inside you when you're somewhere extraordinary and you don't even really know why because I've been asked that many times is so why do you do what you do and why is it that you feel compelled to go to these places and I scratch my head and I think well you know I don't not really sure there's just something quite addictive about it and so I don't ever think of it as scary I just think of it as extraordinary and uh, um, so without going any further about it with me, I'd love to hear where this this light bulb moment happens. You know you want to go and do extraordinary things in the outdoors and, and scream from the highest hilltops, which you were saying, which I love. Um, what was that first thing? Was it a, a run? Was it a walk? Was it a hike, a swim? <laughs> this is, is going to sound really weird. <clears throat> Looking back at it, it was when I was going through the doctoral program, which I, I, I took a sabbatical from, which in my mind, I'm like, I quit. Um, it was when I was bartending at one of the largest clubs in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And this this is going to be really interesting. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on, on any sort of interview because it, it really gets to... We love a world exclusive. Brilliant. So I was bartending. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was bartending and I was Tom Cruise from uh, uh, Cocktail because yeah. I could flip the bottles, you know, blow smoke, juggle the bottles, brilliant. make drinks. And I thought it was hot stuff. So one night um, a girl comes up and across the bar, she comes, she comes up to me. She goes, can I have sex on the beach in your phone number? And in in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, <laughs> but outside, yeah, I'm like, but outside, I'm thinking, sure, no problem, you know, made her the drink, and I was like, you know, come on back. And this went on for the whole night, and I'm just feeding her drinks, and as you can imagine what happens when you drink too much, she comes up later on, and she plops down on the other side of, of the bar, and she looks at me, and she goes, my friends left me, can you take me home? Again, in my mind, I'm like, yes, this is fantastic. This is going to be great in my mind. But outside, I tell her, you know, of course, no problem. So we leave, we leave the club and I walk around to the outside of my really nice Honda Civic, open the car door, <laughs> she gets inside. And as I'm driving up over a bridge to go down into her apartment complex, in the passenger side, I hear, Ooh. You know, she, she's getting ready to get some stuff out. So I pull over as quickly as I can, open the door. She gets whatever 
devil is inside of her and she passes out. I continue to her apartment complex where her apartment number was three whatever, you know, third floor. So I pick her up and I carry her up three flights of steps and I literally stand there and I'm holding this passed out woman in my arms, kicking the door and somebody answers and I push the body and I'm like, does she belong to you? And she looks up and she goes, again? Oh no, okay. So, yeah. So I go inside and in the States we had papas on chairs, you know, like those little round chairs that are not sturdy at all, that kind of flip over if you had too many drinks. So I layer in one of those things and as I'm leaving on the coffee table, I see lines of coke, I see heroin needles, I see burnt oh, spoons, geez. I see all these pills, I see all these drugs that you can possibly imagine. And on my way home, that's when it hit me. You know, a Midwest boy with these morals and ethics, who's gone through these two cancers, who was raised with the proper insight into life that my family gave me and I was thinking how proud of their son would my mom and dad be right now so it goes back to family and that's when my life changed I was like if I continue down this path without utilizing my personal core values I'm going to end up somewhere and I'm I'm not going to be able to change so in my mind I knew I couldn't continue doing this so I dropped out of school and that's that was the moment that I realized I need to do something with my life And I think that was the first time I took the hard proverbial look and literal look into the mirror. And I asked myself, who is Sean Swarner? You know, who are you? And that's when I started looking at the cancers. That's when I started looking at my past life, my life in the past, which most people don't do. I mean, how many people in the world have actually sat down and taken time, not out of their days or their weeks or months, out of their lives, to contemplate everything they've been through and how they got where they are now. Because I realized all those seemingly mundane decisions that I make every single day of my life brought me to where I am right now at this exact point. Looking back at that that girl, same thing. You know, it took me to a place in my life I didn't wanna be because I was on cruise control and I wasn't making decisions consciously until I decided to look back. And then that's when I realized I wanted to give back and, and inspire people with hope. Really interesting that. I mean, it does, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, inspiration and those moments of clarity can come from the funkiest places, right? Um, and uh, so I, I, and thank you for sharing that. And, and so you're in Florida, you're a bartender and you're thinking, I need to do something that's bigger and better what is the next step? Well, I, I initially started thinking of, of bigger and bigger things. I came up with the idea of running across the United States and joking. There's like, that's ah, too much training. That's too much running, too much work. And then I just kept literally thinking bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it finally clicked. What's the highest platform in the world? Mount Everest. So it might sound crazy, but to me, it was very, it was a very logical step and a very logical process of just thinking more grandiose, larger and larger and larger and bigger and bigger and bigger, higher, higher and higher and higher. And that's when I realized, well, if I'm living in the state of Florida, which is essentially a, a giant uh, sandbar, 
You know, the highest point in, in Florida is the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in Miami. So I couldn't exactly stay there and, and train for the highest mountain in the world. So I moved to Colorado and literally started training for Mount Everest. And how old are you at this point? <laughs> 20, 26. 26, okay. 27. So 26 years old. So pretty young. And, and at that point, I'm assuming you didn't have any experience in mountaineering or, or going up mountains or you had the fitness it sounds like oh i had none oh okay i I had zero experience i moved out when i first came out to colorado i literally lived in the back of my uh, my honda civic with my brother we camped for two months my office was a payphone bank in the library imagine someone approaching you your large corporation say the north face or patagonia or marmot and someone says hey you know i have two i've had two cancers i have one functioning lung I am going to be climbing Mount Everest in nine months, and I have zero experience. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. Where can we call you back? I had no <laughs> number for them to call me back. I was using a payphone bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so, I mean, was that trip, <laughs> did it end up being sponsored, or they were probably thinking you're nuts? I, I did. I, got, I landed one large sponsor, and then after that, the rest of them came in. Wow. In fact, when I was going out for the summit, this is crazy, I didn't have a summit suit. The North Face came in at the last moment, and they put in a box, shipped it over to Nepal, and I had a. I should send you a picture on the. So top you of the box, hang on, you're in says, Nepal, and you didn't have the suit to go up Everest. <laughs> no summit suit, <laughs> and I was leaving for the summit in, pro- in probably a week or two, maybe yeah. a week, and the, the box showed up. All it said was Sean Swarner Everest Base Camp. Wow, and it got to. You. I, I love that. Talk about living on the edge. I mean, geez. So, so you threw that on. You, you summited Everest, which for most people is, you know, the dream of dreams, the challenge of a lifetime, highest point on earth, extraordinary trip. Um, and you summited um, and you came down. And, uh, you know, you don't have to go into detail, but I mean, w- there was, it was a fairly. When I say smooth sailing, there you know it, there wasn't horrific events on the mountain. You managed to get up and get down, and and I guess that was that was it from thereafter, right? The fire was uh, well and truly lit. Absolutely, and, and I, I went up and down, no issues. And being a, a, a male, I can still count to twenty-one, so I have all my appendages. We're, we're good there. And there was, I, I did lose a friend on the mountain. And oh, people told me that it was impo- it was physically impossible to climb Everest with one lung. But I had a deeper purpose for reaching the summit because the entire time I was climbing, I actually had a flag that had names of people touched by cancer in my chest pocket close to my heart, always reminding me why I was there. Mm. And if, if you look at how long it takes to climb a, a big mountain, I, I was going up and down the mountain for literally a month and a half. I was on the summit for 30 minutes or less. So everybody who's trying to reach for these goals, you spend a, a, 10 times longer attempting to go for that and reach that goal than you actually do spending time at the goal. And I learned that after each peak, there's always going to be another mountain to climb. After each uh, finish line, there's going to be another race. So you, I, I started to learn to enjoy the mm. process. Well, it's quite often the journey whenever I've done anything sort of um, compelling in the outdoors, you know, it, quite often it's never really where I intended to go that gave me the reward it was the journey that I took and the people that I met and the experiences I had that you can't plan for you have no idea what's going to happen along the way I mean 
and then just things pop up, don't they? And you just think, oh my God, you know, this guy Namge and in uh, uh, the Himalayas, which I met, you know, he was an amazing guy and, and, and is still a friend. And, you know, it, it, you couldn't have, you couldn't have written it, but but more than that, let me just jump back to the Everest. You know, you're going up with one lung, and and you know, I go back to again where I was. I was just saying, you know, just to do that in itself is extraordinary. But then I was thinking, holy shit, I completely forgot. You know, you, you, this is one lung. I mean, how, just out of curiosity, are you? Do you notice it, or do you? Do you? Is it just? this is your new norm i mean uh, do you find it affects you um you know when even i mean bear in mind there's no air on everest or very little and uh and and you already got you're already on your back foot you know and then they take some more away and you just think how does that work i mean did it were there sort of problems or issues with that i'm assuming with two lungs it'd probably be easier Now, I'm sure it's much easier with two lungs. But ever since I, I lost the function of my right lung because of the radiation, at such a younger young age, I've learned how to breathe properly, okay. I think. And if, if you look at when people start to get nervous, it's usually through their upper respiratory mm-hmm. system, right? Short breaths up here. People forget to use their diaphragms until they sleep. You know, when they're super relaxed or when they're focused on it. So for me, I think I've focused on it for such a long time. I know how to utilize the full capacity of my lungs. And I also, if I can't show you here, but my left rib cage has pressed out more than my right rib cage. And I'm wondering if that had something to do with just the fact that I was so conscious on my breathing it would press it out over yeah. year after year after year after year after year. And most people don't think about it because your subconscious takes care of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, your heart's, your heart's beating, you're blinking, you're breathing, your, your balance is up. You're, you're probably focused on thousands of, of decisions each second. But when you start to become more conscious of those decisions, you are now in control. And I think that's what really helped. It's extraordinary how, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I still got to give you the big thumbs up on the mental fitness as well as the physical fitness. But um, it's also amazing how the body adapts, right? So, I mean, you can be there mentally but, and physically you have to be. But, you know, I would imagine even thinking, ah, you know, I'm only half here with lung capacity wise. You know, it, it, you are what you believe, right? You are what you repeat to yourself. And if you say, I can't do it or I haven't got the lung capacity to do it, you, you know, chances are you're probably not going to do it um but you did so you got down and you're thinking wow insane incredible what was next i mean i i i got home i rested i took a break and i think some time passed and and with most people when when time passes by you start to forget about the negative painful sides and you side of things and you start to focus on oh that was really fun like type a fun type b fun you know type a you're in the moment you're having a great time it's a blast roller coaster oh that felt great you know you get the butterflies in your stomach type b is in the moment you're like oh my god this is awful this sucks but then later on you start thinking that was kind of fun wasn't it so i think i started focusing on the type b fun and realized well i want to do do more 
and there are six other peaks that I want to conquer and six other points where I want to bring a flag and cover the world in hope. God, what a beautiful thing. So um, obviously we can't go into detail about every summit, but could you just um, whip off <laughs> just some uh, Everest number one and then <laughs> thereafter, how many have you got to add to that one? After that, I did Kilimanjaro, which I've now done. I take a group up every year and I just got back from my 24th trip. <sighs> Um, we do it as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. Uh, I did Elbrus two weeks after Kilimanjaro, and I believe it was Aconcagua next, South America, then Antarctica, Australia, and then finally finishing on American soil uh, up in Alaska, Denali, where it actually took me three attempts to do that. When I fell 100 feet the first time, and we had a Hang on, hang on. You just whipped over that. You fell 100 feet. What what happened there? (laughs) When I was climbing up, we hit the crux of the the climb where it was uh, 800 meter bulletproof ice. And I was testing new crampons. I had 50 feet of rope between my climbing partner and I. And I almost was at the extent of the 50 feet of rope. And I misstepped with the new crampons and I started sliding. So 50 feet between him and I, and then 50 feet below that. And I remember the instant it happened, I was on my back and you know how quickly your mind works when something like that, it's almost like time slows down. So I remember being on my back and my mind literally said, well, this isn't good. (laughs) I "I should probably do something. So I rolled over and self, self-arrested, self but also being roped up to my climbing partner obviously helped. Climbed back up to where where I fell, I belayed him in. And when he got up to where I was, my adrenaline was gone. It was shot. My I was shaking. I was super anxious and nervous. And I told him, we got to go back down. So we went back down to 14 camp is what it was called. And I looked up and I was like, you know, I'm a huge believer in signs. And I always trust my gut. I was like, look, if, if it's my time to be here, let me know. So I leaned back into my tent and somehow my hood caught my glacier glasses, snapped them right in the middle. So I was like, all right, I get it. I got the sign, but I, I kind of needed yeah. those, man. <laughs> like, I need those to get back down. Flew back the next year. And in one night, we got more snow than the Alaska range did the entire winter. And I remember waking up being covered in 12 feet of snow. We had to dig our way up Jeez. and out. Um, avalanche hazard off was, charts, was yeah. or avalanche danger was off the charts. So we flew home. A week after that, uh, an airline company came in, sponsored the trip, flew me back up to Alaska. And perfect schedule, 11 days, summit, back down, out home. In fact, what was really cool is the airline came in. Mom and dad were flying to go meet me in uh, Talkeetna, Alaska, which is where you fly off the mountain. And ESPN was there. Uh, They were doing a film. And when mom and dad were flying, somehow word got back to the pilot. Pilot radioed to the flight attendant. Flight attendant brought a bottle of champagne to where mom and dad were on the plane and said, right now your son's standing on top of Denali. Wow. Which was really cool. I don't know how they did that. But then when, when they were there in person, I remember coming up to my mom, hugging her, and she's in tears, I'm in tears, and she told me two things. One, she said, now I can finally sleep, because it was a culmination of the seven summits. Little did she know that I was going to go on to the south and north poles. 
she told me, now I can finally sleep. And then she also, while she was crying, she looked at me and she said, I could smell you before I saw you. I, I can't imagine um, as parents, and, and, and I'm a parent now, is that, you know, uh, my son or daughter saying, you know, I'm going to go and do Everest or one of these big climbs. And, you know, but having been through everything prior, the cancer, everything else, and they're not just going for a little climb. You know, you, you decided to pick the, the one of the gnarliest mountains on the planet and, and not only smashing that, then you go on to smash, you know, six other summits and then you do um, the North and the South Pole, which is, again, extraordinary. Um, you know, it, 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 it defies belief. And I, I think, you know, well, I mean, just to tap into that a little bit more, did you, on any of these big expeditions... Was there any profound moments that you had where um, uh, they are, of course, all in, incredible? But were there were there any particular learnings or people or or places or moments that you had on those journeys where it, it just sort of made your heart sing? And I, I think I like this to when I've been in places like a, 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 in the Himalayas or Bhutan or the Arctic and things where where there's it's complete silence and you're you're in an extraordinary environment and then you suddenly get this feeling of just utter 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 joy where it's just ecstasy you know but it only lasts maybe three to five seconds and when it's gone you're like oh god how do i get that back it was so beautiful and it's like a moment of clarity in the outdoors and i wonder um, I'd love to know when you were out in these amazing places and, and on these incredible expeditions, did you have anything that you sort of really took away that you that you cherish? It doesn't, I don't mean physically, it's just emotionally or, or, or what you take and use in your daily life or use in your teachings to others. Absolutely. And they both happen annually. And it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> one always happens before the other. The second one is, as I mentioned, I take groups up Kilimanjaro as a fundraiser. And it's to the point now where I, I know I can make it. It's, it's not about the summit. It's what I get most out of it is seeing people, when they come out of the hotel, they look up at the mountain and they see the glaciers on the summit they think they're clouds <laughs> and I can tell when it clicks they're like oh my god that's it so I call that their oh shit moment so it's it's phenomenal to see them transition from that oh shit moment to the summit where their life changes in an instant it's it's very similar to Christmas and giving gifts mm -hmm. like I don't I don't want anything I don't need anything but I love seeing my nieces and my nephews eyes and faces light up when I give them a gift you know changing the it, it, changing their their emotions it's very similar to going to the top of Kilimanjaro where I can see their life their lives change in an instant and they always hug me and it never fails. They always say, thank you so much for getting me here. And my answer is always the same. I didn't get you here. And I think that's when their life, they realize, oh my God, I did. he just guided me up here. He led me up. I did this myself. 
And then everyone's in tears because of the emotions. You know, you're physically spent, mentally spent, emotionally spent, spiritually, everything. everything. You're just done. So seeing how their lives change, I, I love that. And it's, it's not about the mountain, it's about the people. The second one leading up to that, I always get my, my blood checked before I go up. And I do that every year because no one's ever had Hodgkin's and Askin's sarcoma. And I will constantly be in a state of remission. No one knows what's going to happen. So every year I have to have the CBC, the platelets, the blood work, all that stuff. So the time that I, between the time that I get the blood work taken and the results, I'm a little different. You know, I'm, I'm a little on edge, but when I get the results back, that's when I realize I have another year to live. That's one of the moments where I realize how precious life is. And no matter where, it doesn't matter where I am. When I get those results, I'm in a, I'm in a state of bliss the moment that everything comes back and it looks good. I can't imagine. It's, it's like, I would imagine, almost like a, a, a life lottery, isn't it? Almost. I mean, you know, you just don't know. And, 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 God, you know, it, it, like getting a job interview or something like that, and you spend. I mean, this. I, I don't mean to downplay it, but I mean, I'm trying to sort of, <laughs> you know, an, or an audition for an actor or something where you're you're on the list, but they haven't picked you yet. Yeah. And you're thinking this is a life changing moment. I'm going to be the next big thing or whatever it is, and then, you know, and then it comes through. It just must that immediate elation that yes. I get an I, I get to help someone else. I get to do another challenge. I get to to breathe again and love my family and love my wife, etc. Whatever it may be. What what a and that's I guess what is so beautiful about life, and probably a good place to lead into, um, you know, questions about overcoming adversity, you know, big or small. And I think you know one of the reasons I started this this business is I was in a really dark place, you know, I'd, I'd had, I'd been divorced and that was really tough. And, um, you know, I'd lost my father and then I was in an event where, um, some horrible things happened and, and it took me to a very dark place. Um, and I, I was, I, I felt really, really alone and, and I didn't really know how to ask for help. Um, I was too proud. Um, ego, whatever it was. I, I just didn't know how to ask for help. I'm a man, you know, man up. And this is the mentality that I grew up with, right? Um, and, you know, it took me to the edge. And I think one of the real reasons that I'm, I'm just a big admirer of what you do and, and, and how you do it is that your life since then has been really all about helping others, you know, and you, you know, it's quite moving hearing you telling me about the uh, the blood work stuff. Is, you know, uh, you know, maybe that's an, almost a gift into itself, in the fact that it's a, every year you get the chance to be woken up again. When sometimes we can drift for years, and it's only when we get some horrible news that we tend to think, "Oh my God, I've I've just heard." Um, I was just out in uh, California with my son, and my first adventure with my son. We were in Yosemite, had an amazing time, and on the last couple of days, I get back, I find out that two of my friends have got terminal cancer, and I'm just like, "Holy shit! Holy shit!" 
and I, I and and both of them are still were still working and and you know in their fifties and I just think hopefully god willing you know that they'll come out of it but if they don't i mean i, I and also if they say you one guy's got three to six months and you think it makes you feel quite emotional about even talking about it in the fact that he <laughs> they've found it so they got to pump him full of stuff and get him into a hospital right so he hasn't even got the chance to say right god i'm going to go and do all the things i wanted to do well yeah you can't it's too late and I think so. Ha what I'm saying is, is, is that wake up call, and the wake up call for me was, you know, is this the end or is this the beginning? You know, and and maybe something like you had from the shower to the, to to you know, the finding the second cancer and and then thinking, you know, is this the end or is this the beginning? And I love I love what you said about just saying, you know, no, uh uh. You know, I'm not doing this to my family. I, I choose life. I, I I want it. I want life, and 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 that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But quite rare, I would imagine, to be able to find that. And by the grace of the lords, or the or the gods, or the wind, or nature, or whatever it is, I came back. But I think I'm in a position now where it's like being an actor or a painter. You never master the craft. You're always learning. And and one thing I love about these podcasts is that I'm learning so much from amazing people like yourself that help me grow as a human, that hopefully this information is all passed on to others and they can grab their nuggets. Do you know what I mean? They can look at you and think, my God, you know, maybe it makes me realize or they realize it, it ain't that bad. And he, look what he achieved. And so, you know what, I'm, I'm going to change. So, or, or try and get better. And And I think, how how do you have do you, do you work on this mental fortitude do you, do you is it a gift is it and 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 if if you have tips and and keys and things that you use you know what what are those learnings what do you think you could pass on to others you know that can't, maybe don't have the capability or desire to do some of the challenges that you've done well first of all I, not everyone's going to climb Mount Everest but everyone does have an Everest to climb. And it, it boggles my mind. When, when do people really start to live? It's, it's oftentimes when they're so close to death. Why is that? Why do we, why do we have to, to putz our lives away waiting for something to happen that, that is this traumatic experience to make us change? Why don't we choose to change instead? You know, why don't what I do every day? Why don't people wake up and write down uh, an, an affirmation? You know, I am whatever, gonna, you know, confident. I'm this, I'm that, whatever it might be, and then write down three things that you you are going to accomplish that day, and three things you're going to to learn that day, and at the end of the day. And you saw me turn around. I was looking for my journal, but my journal's on my my uh, desk right by my bed. At the end of the day, I write down five things that I'm grateful for that happened that day. Not my health, my family, my home, my health, uh, things like that. Those are given. Those, those are just part of my personal core values. I write down five things that happened that day for which I'm grateful, and then I journal about one of them. 
Like I am most grateful for blank because blank. And that, that connecting word really brings it home. And you do that for a while, you start to see patterns. And every week I do a weekly summary and I start writing down what it might be. And, and I look back at what I'm grateful for each one of those seven days. And I start to see patterns in there. And it's usually with my, my wife. It's usually with my family. It's usually with deeper meaning, deeper purpose behind the actual actions. Because you mentioned it earlier, you know, when, when people do pass away, no one ever says, oh, I wish I worked harder. You know, and, and I was at a, a conference recently where there was a billionaire up on stage right before me, three, three private jets, you know, more money than God. And then I get up on stage and I'm thinking, you know, what can I offer these people that this guy hasn't already said? And I pick him out in the audience. It was a mastermind class. And I pick him out. I'm up on stage. I look at my point. I'm like, why are you here? And he goes, well, because I want to network. You know, typical billionaire mindset, you know, with, with the ego. And it's like, why are you here? And he goes, to network. I was like, well, why? To make more money. Well, why? To, you know, buy more houses. I was like, why? And I just kept peeling back those layers, you know, peeling back the ego. And he, it finally came down to it. He's like, well, I'm here so I can take care of my family. And I was like, there you go. Like, you're not here to network. You're not here to make more money. You're not here to make more businesses. You're here because you want to take care of your family. So if you have that in mind, knowing that you're meeting these people because of a deeper purpose behind your actions, you're going to continue doing it for the right reasons. Not the superficial, hey, I just, I just want to connect with you because I'm going to use you for something else. Now, remember why you're doing it and find a deeper purpose and passion and meaning behind your actions. And that's what I've learned by doing these journals and looking back at it. And I think everybody should do that. Just get a, a, a gratitude journal. Imagine going to bed instead of laying in bed thinking, oh my God, I, I didn't do this. I forgot to accomplish that. My God, I'm so stressed out because of everything that's going to happen tomorrow. What am I going to do? You go to bed now being grateful and you have an attitude of gratitude before falling asleep. That's an amazing thing. And uh, an attitude of gratitude is, is, is one that I love. And, and, uh, and, you know, you get a fobbed off by a lot of people saying, you know, ah, whatever, you know. But, it, it, you know, it's the simple things that bring the biggest joys in my mind. You know, when your kid looks at you a certain way, when your kid, kid first says to me, that they love me or, you know, I've just, my mum's just flown over from the States. She's not so well. Um, and as she said to me, um, I've always dreamt of seeing the Tuscan pines, you know, those thin pines you see in all the photographs, Instagram, etc. And I thought, you know, you spent your whole life looking after us. Nobody else is going to take you. So screw it. Let's get in the car and let's just go. I haven't done it yet, but we're going to do it um, in, in the next couple of weeks. And and so I think for me, that brings me joy, hopefully her joy. And it, and it's amazing when I've been in my lowest moments that, that I'm very grateful that I have a, um, uh, a mum with great emotional intelligence, but also quite, not stern's not the right word, but um, honest. So it's like, Matthew, you know what? Belt up. Get your shit together and come on. That's not even something worth worrying about. Or, you know, or it's guidance, etc. So from a guidance perspective, and and 
the road that you have traveled, bumps, warts and all, you know, if there was one thing that you could say to, you know, our listeners or anybody that that is is you know struggling and they can't see a way out you know it just feels like the top of the the pool is right there but I'm just below it and every time I claw up I seem to sink a sink a bit deeper you know someone like yourself who's overcome adversity every day is a challenge and every year you get an, a new a new year um, is there something that you could offer somebody or or, or a um, a learning there you know not not using the underwater analogy because my first thought was breathe but it's gonna be difficult to do that <laughs> that would be my first uh, my first reaction my gut reaction is breathe you know it, there, there's a physiological reaction that happens in your body when you sit down you tune out the world you go outside into nature it just breathe deeply using your diaphragm slow your breath down which will slow your heart rate down and then you'll realize that this time is is it's passing it's fleeting you know it's it's a temporary condition not a permanent state and i think if people understand that it's okay to be scared it's okay to have these thoughts. They're, they're just thoughts. They're not a representation of who you are as a person. And everybody goes to them. You're not alone. But if, if you want to reach out to somebody or talk to somebody, talk to a friend, call me up, Sean at cancerclimber.org, send me an email, I'll get back to you. But breathe. Take a breath, calm down. It's going to be okay. And if people are if they realize that human beings are creatures of habit, you know, I'm guessing when you woke up, you probably did the same thing today that you did yesterday. And the same thing you probably did on, on Tuesday, the same thing you did on Monday, the same thing meteorologists, when they wake up in the morning, they have a set pattern. Parents have a set pattern. Olympic athletes have a set pattern. People need to realize if you want something different, do something different. Yeah. Just pick one thing one thing that might have the most power over you for most people is probably when they wake up in the morning they grab their phone right there see they grab their phone just turning that one off sorry i thought i had but yeah yeah <laughs> i apologize they grab the phone and they start going through social media or they turn on the news how does that benefit mm. you yeah get rid of it replace it with the journal replace it with something else in the first 15 minutes of waking up you can choose how you want your day to go absolutely and it's taking um ownership isn't it of of, and and i i remember um being in bhutan and i met this uh, buddhist monk in this monastery in the middle of nowhere and he was quite acclaimed guy and uh, and i said to him and he'd just come out of three years of silence right three years I'm not 100% sure we all need to do that, but my God, I was still like, you know, wow, uh, he's talking to me. Not, I wasn't the first person he talked to, but he hadn't long since come out. I was just sort of, wow, incredible. But I said, what's your, you, you know, the one thing that you could tell me, which I love these nuggets, right, that I can take with me. And he said, impermanence. Impermanence is the one thing. So you might be having a good day. It'll pass. You might be having a bad day. It'll pass. You might be having shitty, horrible thoughts. They will go. You know, all of these things will pass. And and he, he was a big advocate for the outdoors. And one of the things that you just tapped into again there was said, get outdoors, get into nature. Now, 
as this is a thread that runs through the things that I love so much, the podcast, my life, the way I've conducted my life has always been had something to do with the outdoors because I don't, you know, again, I can't identify exactly what it is, but it just feels good. Um, what does the outdoors mean to you? Freedom. In one word, I would say freedom. But you know, the, the freedom to choose, the, pre- the freedom to think. Sorry. No, I was going to say freedom. I love that. But there must be a couple of things that took you to freedom, right? So I'm going to put you halfway up a hill in uh, Colorado. That's freedom. But it's tricky, this, because I can't identify it. But I'm, I, So I'm pushing it on yeah, you because yeah. I can't do it. So um, I, I, I'd be intrigued to see... Yeah, <laughs> I've answered my own question here a bit. But freedom is it, isn't it? Because you do... It's about something just feels good about nature. And I, I, I bang on about this, that, you know, I feel we're all carbon. We're all from the earth. When we're sort of saying, oh, you've got, haven't got enough zinc, you haven't got enough iron in your body. Well, where the hell's that from? Well, it's from the outdoors. It's from the earth, right? We used to eat vegetables out the ground that were covered in mud and stuff, you know, or washed off a little bit. But all that stuff's going into our body, you know. And, and so nature feels good, doesn't it? And going further, I would say it's detachment and recharge. You know, detachment from the tangible physical things that you mentioned before that we are taught to go yeah. after. You know, it's a detachment to that and actually a regrounding in and recharge into who you are as a human being, who you are as a person. You know, I, yeah, every time we talk, I just feel, you know, kindred spirits or whatever and, you know, we could do it for hours. But, I mean, I'm conscious people have a life and, and they need to move on from this podcast too. So um, on on the end of that, and I always do this with every podcast, is I like to ask um, the guest to name three things you could offer to the listener that are simple, don't cost anything, and it's almost instant reward. Um, and if those three things could help others, what would they be? Sean's, you know, three gifts if you like no pressure i was just i was gonna say go outside and get your vitamin d in the sun but this is sometimes difficult in the uk because <laughs> it's so cloudy yeah, buy a sun <laughs> lamp okay we'll go on holiday <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely go outside get some sun recharge write in your journal bookend your day you know affirmation in the morning gratitude at night the third one it's a mix of breathing and exercise, but you can breathe while you exercise. Go for a walk, go for a hike, go for a spin on the bike, go for a run. It costs nothing to do that, but the mental rewards you will get from being physical are, are off the charts. What I'm going to ask as well is I know you've got a new project coming up and it sounds very exciting. I had a good read on that. and. Um, could you tell everyone about that? Because they may want to tap into this too. Um, and and then after that, what's next? Or is that the next? That is the next thing right now. It's called the Big Hill Challenge. And it's literally a three-week-long mental wellness challenge, helping people utilize their personal core values to make mindful decisions, utilizing the compound effect to help them go from here to here without going down and then climbing back up. It's, it's that simple. 
and it's it's changed lives and it's going into the corporate world now because mental wellness is something we all we all need to focus on absolutely well um everyone will get the opportunity to check that out because obviously i'll have all your info with the podcast so people can dive a bit deeper explore you read the books immerse yourself in the website there's so much to explore with you sean but i mean we'd literally be here all week um but I, 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 I know you're a busy man and, and you've got a lot to do. And I really, really appreciate your time, you coming on here. Um, you're so insightful, such an inspiration. And, um, you know, I, I hope everyone gets as much as I do every time I talk to you. Um, so thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. It's, it, it's insanely brilliant. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you. My, you know, it's 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 my pleasure, and I love doing this stuff because it. You're giving people a platform to help share stories that'll reach somebody else. Even if this hits one person, it changes that person's life. Fantastic, so be it. You know, that's that's what it was meant to do. So I appreciate the opportunity that you're giving to myself and so many others. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited to say we have an amazing array of guests joining us over the series. So please subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast. And if you know anyone that may be struggling, please pay it forward and share this podcast with them. See you next time.